Did you know that having more than one set of DNA, called genetic mosaicism, is relatively common, and that many people with such differences live their whole lives without ever being aware of it? One reason this matters is that detection of common genetic variations like X and Y mosaicism is currently exploding due to the widespread adoption of non-invasive prenatal tests. Yet at the same time, there's a huge information gap about what it means to actually grow up with such differences, and parents, doctors, or educators lack authoritative guidance. Few people are better qualified than today's guest, Jessica Langenhoff, to help us understand. Based in the Netherlands, Jessica is a human movement scientist and a biomedical information specialist. She also happens to have not one or two, but three different sets of DNA, something she discovered only at the age of 41. In some of her cells, she has an extra X chromosome, also called trisomy X or triple X. In others, she has one fewer X chromosome, a difference known as Turner syndrome. And in the rest of her cells, she has a standard 23rd pair of two X chromosomes, like most women. Thanks to her unique combination of scientific and lived experience, Jessica has become a leading chromodiversity information specialist, retrieving and translating key research for clinicians, parents, and patients. She is also the Netherlands MyXXY Chromodiversity Foundation ambassador, the administrator of its global Facebook page, and the creator of the first global LinkedIn group for chromodiverse adults. Welcome to Chromodiversity, a podcast for clinicians, therapists, and families about common genetic diversity. I'm Elliot Pollack, founder of my XXY Chromodiversity Foundation, and I'll be your host. Hello, Jessica. Thank you for being on the show today. Hi, Elliot. I'm happy to be here. How old were you when you found out that you had a genetic difference? And how did you find out? I was 41 years old when I was diagnosed. It, it was a more or less a coincidence. I was reading a health glossy magazine in a waiting room in some hospital. And there I uh, read a story about Diana Decker. She is also from the Netherlands. She has uh, trisomy X. And she was interviewed about it. And she, um, well, I thought this could be my identical twin sister, we have so much in common. And she had made a list of like 20 symptoms you can have with an extra excess when you are a woman. And I had like 18 of them. And then I thought, you read about it and you think you have it. And it is one in thousand. So how big is the possibility that you really have it? And then I was working in a medical library. So I had access to all, almost all medical information in the world. So I was searching PubMed and I was looking in the books we had and everything. And then I thought, well, may it might be one in thousand, but I want to know for sure if I have it or not. I asked uh, the Trixie um, Expertise Center in my country, in my city, in fact. I am an adult. I want to know if I have this or not. Where do I go for a diagnosis? Then they said, you have to go to a clinical geneticist. And he is in the LUMC. So I went to my GP and I asked for a referral. 
And my GP said, well, this is interesting, never heard of it. So I went to this uh, professor and he looked at me and my tall arms and we had an interesting talk together. He, he was really interested in my story. Then he ordered this blood test for, to count the chromosomes and he did also more detailed uh, studying of the uh, DNA. And then three months later, I saw him again and I said, said, well, I don't know what to say to you. Maybe I should say congrats because this is the first time in his career. And then he said, you, you were right. You have an extra X chromosome in part of your cells. So you were right that you have it. But then the story went a bit weird because I have also the cells with the usual two X chromosomes like most females have. And I have also cells with one X chromosome. And that's called Turner syndrome. So I went for this diagnosis and then I got another present to go with it. And then it was confirmed that I am in, in my own, just being one person, I am I am chromodiverse in, in fact. They they sometimes joke that one person cannot be uh, diverse on his or her own. But I am Yeah, what was it that you recognized in the list, some of the key things that you felt corresponded to you? One of my main issues is uh, motor development. It was not that I was that late with my milestones, like walking and whatever children need to learn, but the quality of motion was low. So I started walking at a normal age, but then I uh, kept insecure for years. I was very cautious when I had to step down uh, just a very little step, just centimeters high. I would sit down, do my legs over the edge, and then stand up where any other child would run over it without thinking. This made me fit in with my peers more difficult because children play on the playgrounds and I could not keep up with them. Were there other ways that you felt different from your peers growing up? Yes, because I had difficulties uh, making friends. And it was a problem because we uh, moved from one city to another several times during my uh, youth. I have lived in like four or five, pla five places before I was 18. So I had to get familiar with the new children in my new school uh, every three years. So they didn't get to know me easily because on one hand I was a smart kid and I used difficult language with words I didn't know because my parents did use those words. On the other hand, I had difficulties with these girls talking so fast and topics I was not interested in. It, I was just not fitting in socially. In some things I was might have been a little bit ahead. In some things I was behind them. And in sometimes I think I, I seem to be just parallel to them, not fitting in. So how did it make you feel when you found out? I was jumping from, from joy out of, walking out of the hospital. Now I know what the issue is with me. I am not lazy. I am not a bad person. I have just this chromodiversity. What were you told? Were you referred to a genetic counselor? No. 
he, he said, well, this is the diagnosis and I am not sure what I can do for you any further. Here's your letter with the diagnosis in it and, and just uh, bye. Everybody probably knows somebody who has an extra X, but they yeah. don't know that that's the case. What do you understand today about this genetic difference? For myself, it helped me to understand myself better and accept myself better as the person who I am. And it is in my chromosomes, so it is very fundamental in my system. It, it has always been with me because it started when I was just some cells who were dividing. My mother didn't even know she was pregnant yet. And now today, because I am also a human movement scientist, I have a master's degree. And at the time of the diagnosis, I was working as a medical information specialist in this academic hospital, university hospital in Leiden, where I got my diagnosis. Mm. So today I am more or less a human movement scientist, information specialist, specialized in chromodiversity. In fact, I, this, this same university hospital is on the same campus where Trixie Expertise Center in, in Leiden is. The Trixie Center in Leiden in the Netherlands is one of the few centers in the world that is specialized in studying X and Y chromosome variations. Yes, and I happen to live within half an hour cycling <laughs> distance from this center. But the clinical geneticist who, when he walks to the train to go home, he, he sees this building where the Trixie Expertise Center is, but he didn't refer me there. I uh, referred myself there because I found out it was them who I called to ask, where do I, do I get diagnosed? So I went there and I paid for this uh, neuropsychological testing. And then I was tested two mornings in a row and my intelligence turned out to be quite high. But I had a gap. My processing speed is way lower than you expect in a Master of Science. And my uh, short-term memory is not good. So this is the gap I was looking for. Do you find that you have some sensory processing differences? Yeah, yeah. I was always uh, fighting with itchy socks and itchy labels in my neck. And I, from a young age, I started to make my own clothes. That is uh, to have them uh, fitted because I was tall and very slim. Uh, so I could not find many clothes in the shops and if we found them, they were expensive. So from age 12 or something, I started to make my own clothes and then I can make them a sensory uh, issue free. Mm. And I also have some problems with um, when the lights are blinking with, with, with um, cars um, approaching me uh, in the dark and with sounds also some processing issues. Would you say some of these sensory aspects are consistent with some aspects of autism? Um, I think there is an overlap, an, a, a considerable overlap, and the issues that we face are similar. But um, we also have differences from people with 
autism because most of us are more, uh, most people with an extra X are mo more aware of being different. What did you enjoy most as a kid? Crafting. I was making dolls' clothes all the time. I started making clothes for my dolls by knitting and crochet. And uh, also from nine years old, I was allowed to use the sewing machine of my uh, grandmother first with a, the, the one you have to, to push uh, with your hands. Some months later, my mom uh, allowed me to use her uh, electrical sewing machine. So I was making uh, dolls' clothes, things for my room, pillows and bags also. I was a reader. I was always with my nose in the books. And I was in a violin class. And I also enjoyed playing the violin with, with other children. But there my motor skill issues were an issue because I was a very slow learner. And when it is fine motor skills, my fine motor skills are way better than my cross motor skills. So the, the issues I have is learning how to ride a bike, running, playing ball games in, the, in school, dancing. I like dancing, but I'm not good at it. Well, what also happened at times is that I got overwhelmed because I have younger siblings. They were quite noisy at times, talking uh, all at the same time. And then when I got hungry also, uh, I would not feel it properly. So that's also a sensory issue. We, we do not always feel what happens in our body. Sometimes I had issues feeling pain. I just didn't feel it. When it were my feet, I would not feel it. When I was hungry, I would not feel it. And then I get hungry, hungry, angry. But um, I would not ask for food. And then I was blamed for being irreasonable and being fuzzy, but they didn't give me food because so they didn't understand that I was hungry. How supportive was your family and how did your parents deal with the differences, strengths not? and struggles that they may there's, have seen? There's a very you? short answer, not. That, that was how they uh, coped with it. Yeah. When you went from being a child to a teenager, what was it like with your friends? What was school like? Well, in the, in the second class in, in, in the uh, middle school, when you are about 13, 14 years old here, I was bullied that much that I one day I told my mom, I will not go to school anymore ever. We had breakfast together. I can still remember that. We had breakfast together. It was a Thursday morning. And I told my mom, I will not go to school today. I will not go to school ever anymore. They had to call the school and they had to call the GP and they, well, everything uh, started uh, unrolling. Some weeks later, I went back to school. I restarted in the same school because we could not find another school that was better for me. And then more or less the bullying stopped. But, you know, the other people in the other classes still knew that I was the one to be bullied. It was not a real healthy situation, but I got a friend because she had to do the class over. And then we became friends. She was the new one and I didn't have so many friends. I went to another school because we moved to another uh, area in the Netherlands. So I had to move from one school to another. And this school was better for me. We were a little bit older, so the bullying was, was less anyway, because the 13-year-olds the do it more than the 16 and 17-year-olds. 
And there I did not have much friends, but when we had an hour between lessons or a lunch break or something, I always had friends to sit with and do some homework and just have some talk together. And I was accepted there for who I, who I was. They had to get used to me a little bit because this boy, one boy, I wanted to sit next to him. And I, he told me, I am not so good at maths also, so you can sit here, but I do not do not expect me to help you because I am also not so good at this. And then uh, I, th- I told him, I do not need your help, that's when I can sit here, that's okay. And in the end, we turned out to be both good enough. When it is a strength of a child, it would be so great when teachers and parents see this and make a party of celebrating the strengths. Whatever it is, gardening or caring for animals or uh, making your own clothes, it doesn't matter. I think I think it is so good when parents and teachers celebrate the strengths of a child together with a child because, you know, when there is something to do in school, like... Uh, a musical or a sports uh, event, then the child's uh, children who do not want to be in the spotlight, they can make the costumes or the the, uh, the scenery for the for the for the for the play, or they can be referees maybe, or they can take care of the catering or whatever. Find something where they can flourish. Do you think that your strengths and your struggles are related, at least in part, to having an extra X chromosome? I think that my, many of my struggles are related. And from, for my strengths, I am not sure because in the end, I, I do not see it as a gift. I am not, not gifted with this extra chromosome. It is more like causing issues than causing strengths, but it made me like a pit bull terrier hanging on to something I want to reach. I I can be really keeping on putting effort into something I want to do. I keep trying things when they are a little bit difficult for me. And that might be a lesson that I learned from my thromodiversity. Don't give up. So that's another strength, perseverance. Yeah. Yeah, that's a strength. If you could go back in time to the moment of your birth and a genetic test had existed then, would you have wanted for your genetic difference to be detected? I think yes, but also with enough counseling, with enough help for my parents, because just a diagnosis without proper information and guidance for my parents is worthless. What you see in in the Facebook groups that parents have a diagnosis uh, and then are are not informed or, or guided or counseled. Getting a diagnosis without proper information and guidance is horrible. If you had had a diagnosis and guidance, or your parents mm-hmm. had had guidance, what difference do you think it could have made in your life? A huge difference. Teachers have told me I am lazy. I do not want to do my homework because the, all the physical uh, maths uh, whatever understanding was easier for me than just learning vocabulary by head, because that depends on short-term memory for some part, large part. 
Well, this basic understanding that I do not do it to make my parents' life difficult. Well, my, my, my mom sometimes thought that I was doing things on purpose to have her have, have a hard time. Look, apart from all the other issues I have, my motor skills, my hearing, my, my whatever, this is more invalidating than anything else. What advice would you give to parents who just learned that their child or their future child has an extra chromosome? I think it is important to look at the child and the diagnosis is part of the child, but it's not who the child is. So you can have a child with a chromosome difference and then maybe she doesn't have motor issues. And then you can guide her just as any child with her motor development. Maybe she does have motor issues and then you try to find something that she likes to do at her level. But I also wish for any child with or without a diagnosis that parents and teachers look at the child and the needs of the individual child. You can have a daughter who can make her own clothes at nine years old, but not do all the other things. What advice would you give to someone who has just found out that they have a genetic difference like you? Get uh, in connection with people who have the same diagnosis and uh, with the big organizations like uh, Axis or the, the Dutch Expertise Center or whoever, both the professional organizations and the, the patient, so to call it patient advocacy groups. So join them and find them on internet and on Facebook. Get connected with them, meet them in person when it's possible in your country to travel and see and feel how it is to be with your peers because it is so nice to meet other people. We are all different. We have different issues. We have different strengths. We have different lives. But we have also something very important in common and you do not have to explain so much. We have the same jokes sometimes and we have recognition. I really like to be with my peers and also the parents of children. Do you find that doctors are more educated today about these differences or do you find that there's still a big gap? There's still a big gap, yeah. I was talking to occupational physician last Friday and I was talking about Turner syndrome. And she said, well, I do not know this syndrome, never heard of this syndrome. She's a doctor and she never heard about Turner syndrome, let alone trisomy X. So I think it is great that like uh, Nord and uh, Axis and other organizations, they have very good quality uh, summaries of the evidence on their websites and also some experience of people. We are working on getting more of our experience on the internet. That's why we do this talk now. Educate yourself. And also when some patient or parent gives you information, we try to make it short, uh, one page, two pages. Do read it. And when you have any questions, come back to the person. And many of us also make some kind of handout. I have them too, with the most important aspects for me, because we are very different. The range of outcomes in our group is really wide. It ranges from hardly any issues to, to severely disabled and needing care. Do not downplay that this extra X will be downregulated and will not give any issues as some of us still hear. 
if there was one piece of research you'd like to see done in the future, what would it be about? I think most of it is related to the quality of life of adults, because there's lots of work done on neurocognitive issues in children. Just like our chromosomes are not changing when we reach the age of 18, our neuropsychological issues are not over when we are 18. So we continue to be different. And we, so on quality of life, everyday life in older adults from 18, uh, 40, uh, 60, that would be my main need for research in the future. But we are working together on, on a paper on, on more ideas we have about future research. If you could go back in time and say uh -huh. something to yourself as a child, with the benefit of your experience today, what yeah. would you say to that child? I think I would say I am different, but I'm fine. Being different is okay. And, and it is really nice because I have difficult times in, in my life as a child, about nine years old, about 13 years old, when I was bullied so much. And still at that time, I felt I am okay. I am a person and I am allowed to be who I am. Before we started the interview, you mentioned that doing something like this brings you outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. So I really appreciate that <laughs> you actually are doing it. Why did you decide to do it in the end? Um, because I want to contribute to information about our diagnosis, the, all the, the X and Y chromosome variations. The information in such an accessible way as a podcast, I know that many people like listening to podcasts, and then informing all kinds of people, future parents, people with young children, adults like me, myself, doctors, educators, the world. So I want to do my part in getting more awareness and also good quality information, real information. I have 10 surprise questions for you that mm -hmm. James Lipton would ask his guests at the end of Inside the Actors Studio. What is your favorite word? Information. What is your least favorite word? Impossible. What turns you on? Making beautiful things which people can enjoy with my hands. What sound do you love? I play viola da gamba. And that is the sound I love. What sound do you hate? This high, shrieky uh, children's voices. What is your favorite curse word? It is something with a contagious disease. <laughs> yeah. What profession other than yours would you like to attempt or would you have liked to attempt? Um, I have tried to reschool to be orthopedic shoemaker so making special shoes with for people who have difficulties with their feet what profession would you not like to participate in be a, a president of our uh, nation if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the gates of heaven i hope that he will say just welcome here <laughs> Simply, uh, welcome me in there, yeah. Thank you so much, Jessica.
Welcome. I enjoyed uh, our conversation so far, and I was not that much out of my comfort zone. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you for taking time to listen to this interview with Jessica Langenhoff about her experience growing up with mosaic chromodiversity. As you heard, learning about her genetic differences at the age of 41 seems to have provided great relief and changed her life in positive ways. One of her takeaways is that, contrary to what her parents, educators, or doctors may have thought, the struggles she faced as a child were not due to a lack of perseverance, but to real biological differences undetected at the time. Her more general takeaway from this insight is that celebrating a child's strengths first is likely to be a healthier, more productive strategy than blaming for weaknesses and perceived faults that may well be out of the child's control. However, the most important takeaway may be that diagnosis alone is not enough, and the single biggest factor for better quality of life is better quality of information and support. And this remains a major gap and challenge, not only for parents, but also clinicians, therapists, and educators. The good news is that this also suggests it's in our power to change lives for the better without necessarily spending vast sums of money on costly medical treatments, but by prioritizing investment in the improvement of clinical information, preventive medicine, and community support systems. I hope you liked this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Please show your support by donating to our podcast today. With your help, we'll ensure an easy listening experience so you can access engaging and authoritative information on common genetic diversity in children and adults, notified to you weekly in your inbox. Tune in next week for another exciting conversation with a fascinating guest, and have a wonderful day.